Uh, g'day everyone, Craig from People With A Passion and my special guest today is Laurie Kelly from Brain Friendly Training. How are you going Laurie? Very good Craig, very good indeed. That's good mate. Now you invited me to attend a intensive training workshop in how people actually learn and it was geared around trainers. It was for trainers to improve themselves in that area. So do you want to speak to what you actually do and what Brain Friendly Training is actually about? Basically, there's just so much out there now about the brain and how, how the brain works and how individuals learn. And what I really want to do is inspire trainers and educators and teachers into understanding a little bit about this neuroscience and how that influences their delivery of their, of their subject matter and how they train so that they can really engage students, both high school, primary high school and um, adult students in the workplace so that they can really get back that joy of, and success of, of learning. I think everyone is innately um, a learner, from mm -hmm. when we were very beginning, when we first learned to talk and walk, um, and that's been dragged out of a lot of us um, by some of the old systems. And I think it's, it's just really great to understand a little bit about our individual brains, and particularly how then we cater for those different learners in their room, and how the learners can help themselves learn. Hmm. One of the things in your training that you mentioned was the knowledge trap. And it's interesting you raise how we learn because as kids, we have this thing around discovery. As babies and as young people, we go and discover and journey and we make mistakes and we put things in our mouths yeah. and we get That's older a, yeah, and we yeah. learn by the hard, often the hard way, school of hard knocks. Yeah. And you just identified that that changes, that there are changes in the way we learn over time and we start to be more limiting in our approach. And, and I guess brain-friendly training is unlocking some of those things that we probably locked up that were there naturally as kids, potentially. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think it, it's a school system that we've been through for mm -hmm. a lot of us. And I, look, I really don't want to knock teachers because they're under enormous stress at the moment and mm. pressure and what mm. they've got to do. But it's really much the whole system and um, it caters for a certain sort of kid and a certain sort of learning. Um, but there's a whole range of kids that have been left behind um, and they come through with a, system, a belief that they can't learn and that's mm. not for them. Uh, my feeling is that all they need to do is be shown how to learn mm. and how they take information in. Um, it can simply be, you know, if you've got a, a kid who's a very, what we call a kinesthetic right brain kid, who's a whole body moving kid, but they've got lots of creativity, lots of ideas, they find it very difficult in traditional schooling just to sit down and be quiet. You know, simple things like colour can be so powerful, mm. just to be able to use colour, use colour with their homework and to be able to draw. Um, so I think it's just being a lot more flexible in what we, how we um, deliver and how we give options for kids to learn. But also being aware that, you know, the school isn't the only place kids learn. They learn through their sport. They learn through their interaction with each other. And they learn through um, the workplace too, which I yeah. think is just a wonderful place for them to learn. But it's being successful learners that what I want them to be. So you mentioned kinesthetic learners. Yeah. You brought up that there are three other types. Do you yeah. want to just explain those okay. quickly? For there, there's audience? what we call the, uh, the visual. Now, when we say learners, they're, they're perceptual styles, right? Mm -hmm. And we all use all four, but we have a strength. So some people are more strongly visual learners. They've got to see something before so they can understand it. They've got to see a drawn or they can draw at themselves. Um, there'd be 
So they're very much using their eyes. Auditory learners are people who, who learn by listening. Kinesthetic learners, they're the ones that have to move their whole bodies, they have to do it. Where tactile learners are the, the fiddlers. Now, what that basically means is if you go to a Kmart or an electrical store on a hot day and you get a, buy, go in and say, I want that fan, the shop assistant just doesn't give you the fan, so take it away. They'll go at the back and they'll get you a cardboard box. And you oh. say to yourself, this is a flat pack. I've got to put this together. Now, a visual learner, provided there's a diagram there or a mud map of it or a picture of it, they'll eventually, if they can see it, they'll eventually if they'll say, well, that's number C there. That must be the D, the bolt that goes on to C. So they'll get it eventually. Auditory learner, they've got to listen. So they've got to have somebody talk them through it or explain mm-hmm, them what to mm-hmm. do. If they haven't got anyone explaining them what to do, they'll actually talk themselves as they put that thing together because mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what auditory people do. Kinesthetic tactile, they'll just hop in and they'll do it till they completely muck it up yeah. and they've got to go back and see what they should have done the first time because yeah. they they're doers. Yes. You know? um, only then will they go and look at a manual because they mm-hmm. just want to have a go at it. Mm-hmm. So it's important if you're um, to understand how you learn and how you learn best because um, yes. if, if you are a visual person, you need to say, give me a mapper, give me a picture of it, show me, do a flow chart for me. Mm-hmm. You know? If you're an auditory, can I explain to you, what does it mean? You've got to talk it through with someone. Auditory learners, they've got to talk, they've got to teach someone else what they've learned. Mm-hmm. Kinesthetic tactile, well, kinesthetic, they've got, an, they've got to have examples of it. And I'm very t- uh, kinesthetic, so I'll say to you, give me an example of that. What do you mean in practice? Since mm. you give me a practice example, I've got it. But I've got to ask for that. Um, and, and, the, and the kinesthetic kids, will, they'll be moving and they'll be, they've got to put it in through their body, where in the school they'll be told, sit down, be quiet, don't move. And that's just so hard for those kids. And fiddlers, they're the ones that take their labels off stubby bottles. <laughs> and they they just got to have their hands going yeah. um, to learn. Yeah, yeah so interesting there. I, I feel like I've known some magician secrets now yeah, sitting yeah. in on the intensive workshop. I know what you did there. You just did a yeah. conscious convincer. Yeah. You explain the idea of fan, which is universal, that yeah. we can all understand this concept of flat pack and, and to convince people that this is how you learn, you've made them conceptualise how they would put exactly. something together and they've come to probably, if they're listening, they're going, hey, that's me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They, there's this convincing happening in the way, in your approach of, of learning. So some so you know that there's a learning outcome there yeah. when you use a conscious yeah, convincer. Yeah, convincing the universe, because I've linked it into an example that most people have, have an experience of, putting a flat mm. pack together. It's like I could have said to you, putting a DVD, you get a new DVD at home, there'll always be someone who wants to stick the wire, uh, wants to read the manual first, mm. um, and there'll be someone who just wants to stick the wires in and see what happens, happens you know? Yeah. And that's your, your, your K in and your T. Mm. So mm. again, I'm using examples there. Now, this is, the reason for that is very much working with the neurons of the brain. Okay, that the brain have patterns of our experience of the past. So if we can link it to some previous experience that people have, that they can, they can see the connection, oh, yeah, I remember doing that, then you've got a much better chance of that information actually sticking um, and then being able to understand it more quickly. And you talk about learning outcomes as being a change of state, that a state actually ha- has to occur. Now, some of the methodologies you used in the intensive workshop with symbols and you draw a Bunsen burner. Do you want to explain that concept of not only why you would be drawing symbols? Okay. Now, this work comes from Tony Buzan's work in mind mm-hmm. mapping, um, and there's a lot of other research as well. Um, but it's saying that if we're st- studying, if we can convert what we're studying into some sort of symbolic form, okay, it's much easier for the brain to 
understand and to hold that information. Um, and so what you're doing, and I used an example of um, a change of state, and I, um, in the workshop I, I drew up a, um, a Bunsen burner in, um, with a beaker on top with a bit of fluid, and I asked people to remember when they were at school in the grade 8 class, I went to the first science class, and they were allowed to light the Bunsen burner off, but, and then the liquid went from a liquid to a gaseous state. Mm. And I used that to kind of explain how we look at change of state, people's mental state and alertness state and attitudinal state. But in the process of the universal, I was hoping people would link back to when they were at high school mm. and think, oh, I remember doing that. So as soon as I got them, I remember doing that, I got them mentally with me. So that's an important thing is to have your students mentally and attitudinally alert and with you in the room. Um, you can yeah. have them physically there, but how do you get them mentally there? So you talk about different strategies when you first, as yep. an educator, enter a room. You want to have an, a situation of early engagement and you want to raise the RAS state. Yep. Do you want to talk about RAS? We'll talk about the yeah, sure. early, early engagement stuff, cause yeah. that's, but, but let's start with RAS. Okay. What's now RAS and why is that important? The RAS is the reticular activating system. Now, it's the back part of your brain, a little area there that... Um, connects the conscious and the subconscious, okay? Can I give you an example? Mm -hmm. um, you're, you've got to go to the car yard and buy yourself a brand new yellow Mazda. You'll drive out in the brand new yellow Mazda and all of a sudden you're going to see yellow Mazdas like everywhere. You say, oh, that's a car, that's another one, that's another one over there. So all of a sudden, your brain's looking for yellow Mazdas. Now, they've always been there, but mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're zeroing in on them. Mm -hmm. It's where mm -hmm. you put your focus. So it's important with learning is that you set your brain up for what you want to look at, okay? So if I was doing from a textbook, um, and I can uh, give you an example here of when I was studying with, uh, doing some work with a, a student nurse. I said to him, like, he had his anatomy book there, and I said, look, it was that thick. And I said, well, you know, you, he said, I find it really hard to learn from books. Mm -hmm. I said, well, first of all, what you do is you go to the back of the chapter, and in the back of the chapter is usually a summary and what you've got to look at, okay? So that's setting your brain up with what's the important things, okay? Mm -hmm. Then you go back and you very quickly flick through your chapter so you've set the brain up a little bit of what's there. Now that RAS starts to come in then and mm -hmm. it then links into what's the important things is to look for when you're doing that. It's the same thing I would say anyone who's a student is to look at YouTube. YouTube is the most wonderful resource that you've mm -hmm. got out there at the moment. So if you've got a topic now, I'll give you an example here. Um, I worked with a student with, um, they had to look at the influence of Big Beth in the modern world, you know. I said, right, I said, have a look at, let's see what's on YouTube. Believe it or not, there are three YouTube clips on the influence of Macbeth in the modern world. world. And I said, have a look at that, have a look at those. There's mm. seven minute clips, but what they've done is they've set your brain up, set the RAS up for what's important then. Mm -hmm, so when mm -hmm. you go to lectures or go to class, you're looking for things there. Um, and, and it's the same with lectures. You would set yourself up for what, what you need to look for. If you're a teacher, um, you'd always make sure that at the beginning of their class you give an overview. These mm -hmm. are the things we're going to be looking at today. So in the sub you're working with the student's subconscious and you're saying, look, these are the sorts of things that I want you to focus in on in today's class. Mm -hmm. Without actually saying it, yeah, you've set them up, set yeah. the subconscious up to look and, at that. And a lot of what you're doing is subconscious. Like I said, oh, I felt yeah. like like I'm reading a magician's yeah, yeah. book because you've exposed <laughs> a little bit of to me yeah. um, before the audience. Now I, I call them manipulators. You know, yes, masters of manipulation. Yes. Yeah, getting people in a really 
resourceful learning state. So, look, there was a whole number of exercises. I think at the end of the day, you gave us 51 yeah. things that, that we could use to engage. Uh, tools, I guess, they're, tool, they're all yeah. tools and methodologies. Yes. There were some very impressive ones and some extremely simple ones and some things that really wowed us. And so, certainly um, one that, that I would like to speak to now because it's popped into yeah, my yeah. head, so it must want to come yeah. up, is that horse and, and horse people. And know, um, yeah. the, the whole concept around that we have a knowledge trap, that our what we know can actually limit our ability to learn because we can't see beyond what we already yes. know to be real in yeah. our mind and it's yeah. not necessarily the case. And and you had the whole room stumped, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, um, and that came from the idea of Eber de Bono's work mm. um, and me saying that um, the knowledge trap is that people, um, the most dangerous statement you can make is the statement, I am right. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you say I'm right, you stop your ability to learn. You stop your kind of ability to look at things from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I use the um, noughts and crosses as an example of that because mm. most people would have played noughts and crosses in their day, you know. And yeah. we all probably would have had a favourite way of playing noughts and crosses. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, I then challenge people to have a look at how many ways you could play noughts and crosses. And there's 362,000. Mm -hmm. 880 possible ways to play at Norton Cross. I think I've only ever played it the once. Exactly. We <laughs> keep we following the stuck. same process. We get stuck in our ordinary way. Yeah. That's the thing with, with learning, is that we get stuck in the way we've always done it. I guess it's a key of this brain friendly training is to have a look at other ways. Mm -hmm. There's other neuro pathways that you can link into. Does, is the RAS open to more learning in the sense of it? You said it was a filter system as well. That it yeah. filled, Is that linked to that concept of a knowledge trap as well, that you need to unleash and sort of ready your brain to get something new? Or? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, it does. It, it, uh, as the educator, um, it's important that you set people up for mm -hmm. what you want them to have a look at. Mm -hmm. so, and that comes in what we call the whiff and what's in it for them. This is an evolution for you, it and is. and we I want to look at where it all started, and and I think where you've arrived is extremely interesting, and I think it it's something that I indicated to you. It's you know that I think anyone who is an educator or a trainer of whether it be students of any type, adult, um, outside yeah. of the school system, even basketball or sports coaches, yeah. that was my experience. That it's relevant to anyone who's helping others learn. Yeah. It's relevant and important. Let's go back and have a discussion about how you arrived. How I arrived here. at it. Okay. So, talk talk us through your your history as a okay. as an educator, but prior to being an educator. Right. Um. Uh, grade eleven and twelve. I um. I was lucky that I had a goal. I wanted to be a teacher. I think I mentioned it before. I, I believe that any student in grade eleven and twelve, the most important thing to help them get through those two years is if they've got a goal. If they don't, and I say to kids, what do you want to be? And they say, oh, I'll do anything. That's the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so because they're really, um, they're not focused. So I was fortunate that I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. okay? I um, then left school and I thought, well, I, you know, I'm not really ready yet. Um, and so I went on a journey because I thought then become a, that a teacher really had to have a lot of life experience that they can offer students. Um, I saw myself as a teacher of, of students, not a teacher of a subject. Um, and so I um, had something like 19 jobs in total, mm. um, a whole range of different ones. What, what's some of the ones that you can share with us that you had uh, okay. that have a bit of... Okay, well, I, I went from, oh, gee, you know, from, a, from being a, a postie mm -hmm. um, 
to um, a furniture removalist. Mm -hmm. um, I worked as a, a barman at the mm -hmm. Inala Hotel. Um, what are some of the funnier things as a barman? Oh, I'm sure you would have heard. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, um, I was travelling around Australia and I come mm -hmm. back and I thought, well, you know, I, I just knew anyone, a tradesman and a barman could get a job anywhere in mm -hmm. Australia. And I thought, well, I'm too old to be a tradesman. I was 22. Yeah. <laughs> too old. You might, too yes. old. You know? um, and I thought, well, I'll have to get a job as a barman. And I thought, well, where could I work? And I thought, if I worked in Inala Hotel, I could work yeah, anywhere. Yeah. This is 1976. So mm -hmm. Inala had a pretty rough reputation in those days. Mm -hmm. A lot better these days by far. Um, anyway, I thought, well, I'll get a job there. Um, and it was a great experience. But I do remember one night, it was a Friday night, there was about 200 people in the bar, and there was a, a, a fight. And then about half an hour later, one of the guys come back with two sticks of jelly night. <laughs> he had never seen so many people move so fast in all their lives, including me. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I could but imagine I it would have seen some things that yeah. are a bit weird and wonderful in that yeah. environment, I'm sure, over the years yeah. when you were there. And then I, from there, I went to the tax office and then to the YMCA as their cultural affairs director. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of experience in it before that. I used to in the um, the student union at the university, and mm -hmm. I'm very proud to say that I brought Cheech and Chong to Brisbane mm -hmm. <laughs> in '74. Yeah. Um, but they then the YMCA then uh, one attended to set up a program for unemployed kids back in 1977, and I was asked to head that program up. It was at Windsor. We had 500 students, or 500 young people, 500 young people through mm -hmm. that year. What really amazed me, they're mainly street kids, um, yeah, and they come from Woodridge to Redcliffe, all over Brisbane. Mm. But what amazed me was the number of really, really smart kids who had failed at school and had come through with a really poor image of themselves as a learner. And I thought, there's got to be another way of doing this. Mm. So that's when I went and did my dip ed, my professional year, um, and um, I thought I'll try and get some skills in, in that area. Um, but... Uh, but I couldn't get a job outside, so I thought, well, I better get a job. It was very, that, I, I said I mentioned before that it was very, um, you know, very theoretical year. year. Yeah, 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 yeah. complete, total, total waste of a year, my dear Ben. Mm -hmm. uh, very theoretical, it wasn't practical, and yep. I really wanted to be practical. I wanted stuff that actually worked with kids. So I thought I better get a job in the classroom. And then I got a job in the classroom and my principal said, well, you've got a Bachelor of Arts. He said, you can be our art teacher. <laughs> and I said, if you've seen my artwork, you know, I'm an expert in the stress management. I've seen your artwork. I've seen <laughs> the shocking. symbols on the board. So, <laughs> so then I, um, I set up, uh, um, about 18 months later, I was transferred in the central office to set up a whole heap of programs and fund programs for what they call at-risk kids. How do schools prepare kids for the workplace? Um, and so I was fortunate there, and I lasted there three years as a consultant, um, and then went back to the schools and um, set up a program myself for kids who just weren't coping. And we identified them at the end of year eight, and we did a program in year nine and ten with them. And I had them for probably six of their ten subjects. Okay. And we focused it around what we call citizenship education. So the kids only came to school for three and a half days a week. Now, this is back in 1986-87. Pretty new stuff. But they were in grade 9 and 10. They were doing community service. They were doing... They had to have a part-time job. Um, really kind of pushed them into that whole area of, of re realism. Mm -hmm. We did a 10-day outward bound with them. Okay. Where they had to kind of carry all their food with them for 10 days. And if mm. they ran out of food, bad luck. Yeah. So it was really... So that's um, real life experience, real absolutely. learning. Different ways of learning. And that's one of the ways we uh, learn is to... Yeah. 
to like like and we and I mentioned it earlier about we learn as kids yeah you know doing. by yeah. doing and that's one of the ways that yeah. these kids do actually learn you say they're bright but there's kids there that the system seems geared for visual and auditory learners. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. that need to see things or hear things. And yeah, very analytical learners. Mm. Um, it's 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 set up for a particular sort of kid and it leaves a lot of kids behind. So you talk about uh, on your videos and on your websites and webinars the left and right hand side of the brain and how important that is to feed both sides yep. because because that's where the boredom actually occurs for one or the other. It is. It, 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 you've got to cater, because we're all the V-A-K-T. Yep. We all have attributes of it. There is a dominant attribute of how we learn. Yes. But at the end of the day, your whole approach is if you cater for an individual and all those features to an individual, you're going to cater to everyone in the room. And you're going to help the individual as well mm. because you hit the whole four. Yes. Um, I would also say the same thing with left and right brain. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking now about the plasticity of the brain. It's not just saying we're all left or we're all right. We mm. use both. Yes. Um, but it's knowing ideas, like, and, and particularly for the learner, if the learner knows how they learn. Yes. Like, I'm kinesthetic, so I have to have practical examples. So if I say, if I'm missing something, I'll say, give me a practical example. What's the meaning practice? As soon as they've said that, I've got it. Yes. It's the same with left and right brain. You know, if I'm a right brain person, I'm very... They're very creative. They've got lots of ideas, but mm -hmm. they find it very hard to focus on a, a particular subject or a particular idea because their mind's all over the place. So S things like colour can be powerful for those mm -hmm. kids. It can really help them kind of focus in um, for those right brain. Getting home at night, doing your homework with really good text to colour pens. Using your music. Like a lot of times mm. we hear people say, oh, how can you study with music on? A lot of people can. There are studies that show that white noise or music or background noise increases concentration. For some people. For some people. Yep. And, and it helps some people sleep. Yeah. So it has a soothing effect. And it's to do with, um, it, it, it's, it's a subconscious focus. It's not conscious. Even though the noise is there, it's almost like it has a counselling out effect or yes. a filtering effect. Yes, yes. Very, mm. much, very much so. For some people. Some which, people don't need it. Which one of your methodologies is in the room when you're having people engage in conversation or, or group yep. work, you'll play music. And and you said that's you do that when they come into a room so that there's noise. So it's often that's an early engager. Yep, yep. That's, 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 it's, I think my big thing was that when you, particularly with adults, if you're doing training with adults or, or, or education adults, when they come into the training room, the room's got to say this could be different. Because people come in with these preconception ideas, like that knowledge trap before. I'm right. How can you teach me? I've been at this game for 15 years. What am I going to learn today? I've been sent by my boss. They're and all they're expecting an experience yeah. that they've had a million times a million before, times and they're before. just going, oh, this is going to be the same. We're just going to be, someone's going to stand up in front of us, and they're just going to yeah. tell us yeah. everything. And I could read it in a book. Yeah, well, you ask a tradie how many induction programs they've been to. You know, they like mm. can have mm. 20, 30, 40 induction programs. You yeah. know? So when they come in, the room's got to say, this could be different. Oh, mm -hmm. something's going on here. And that sparks the razz as ah, well. Spark the razz, sparks a sense of curiosity. Yes. Um, and it gets people mentally in the room. So yes. They're mentally ready to learn. And music can help do that. Oh, for sure. But mm -hmm. when they first move in, have some good music going. So it just breaks the atmosphere up a bit for people. And, and then when you were having us as an exercise in the intensive workshop, you actually at times would play music. And you said 
what you do to drive engagement and interaction with people yeah. and we don't even notice it is yeah. sometimes you'll start the music and you notice there's not much interaction so you start to lift the volume of volume it. up yep and you use the sound as an anchor to have them stop so instead of saying okay everyone mm -hmm. stop you just turn the music off and it's like all the, the music stops and all the attention goes back to you Mate. and it's almost like training a dog to roll over that's the magic yeah, yeah, of it yeah. it's 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 unique to see how those techniques work and they engage people because it's again like you say a different learning experience like what classroom do you walk into where you've got a teacher playing in your case it was 60 music <laughs> <laughs> you had the room questioning the playlist it, 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 it just probably could be a good thing or bad thing but uh yeah but the point the point being is the music the music was used as a as a means of of um keeping us active and involved and engaged but what you what you've just then is, is a classic example of, of, of what I was on about. I mm. wanted you to experience what I was talking about so you could teach others. Yes. Well, you've, a conscious you have convincer. learned it. You've, from what people have just heard, what you've just explained, it's, you've learned that by doing it, but it's mm. come to your mind straight away. This is what he did. This yeah. is what, what we experienced. But that's a conscious convincer because oh, yeah. when you see, but you were doing it. And then later on, you're explaining, explaining the it. theory behind it, and 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 me being the inquisitive mind kept asking questions, yeah. and, and why why the then music? I tell and, you to shut up at one side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're like you're like I'm getting to that. But it's like I'm, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag on the music just yet. Everyone else was just complaining yeah. about the playlist. Yeah. So I'm going, there's something behind this playing music hey, listen, while we're in. My groups. playlist wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. I don't want to scare anyone off from any of your workshops. It was actually quite good. We just had to pick on you for yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was like, it was like you had us doing some um, things that were challenging us. And I think a few of us. Buddy Holly and that. It's, it's, it's interesting because the knowledge trap came up multiple times. Yeah. You had us do things. Yeah. That where we were asked to do activities where we used what we assumed to be correct. Yes. There was a case of a safety. Workplace health and safety. Workplace yeah. health and ha safety yeah. where you gave us a whole scenario of, of cards and said, hey, put these in the order of what you think happened. And I won't go into it because if you ever do one of the workshops, <laughs> I don't want to be a spoiler here. But you had, again, the whole room bamboozled by the way our knowledge Yes. limits our ability Thinking. to see possibilities that's it Thinking, yeah. and and i think that's what learning's about is and then again conscious convincer when you actually explain it we're all like it's like an epiphany yes and that's yes. what you want us to have that oh. is the learning experience that's the change of state that, again absolutely that's a wow state then you think, mm. oh yeah so mm. in the change of state for those who are educators you you want to get people really curious so, so there's five key states you know for mm -hmm. learning mm -hmm. get them curious Put them to an experience and say, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, that wow state. And then, yep, got it. And then the, the challenge, and that's a bit of cortisol. And so all of these states actually work with chemicals of the brain. Okay, so to kind of get the brain engaged and get people ready to learn and open mm -hmm. to learning. Uh, and that's what we did. A lot of those those engagement and the early engagement activities were the same sort of thing. Mm. So there's also a concept you introduced the other day of a flipped classroom. Do you want to explain this concept of a flipped classroom? Okay, yeah, uh, and that will link into what I was talking about before about Macbeth and the modern world. Mm. Okay, mm. Um, this began in the United States about ten years ago, to ten years ago, where they were finding that kids in this high school weren't doing homework. Surprise, mm -hmm. surprise, and they thought, well, if if we take away the fact that they're just lazy, you know, what else, why else wouldn't kids do homework? And they thought, well, in traditionally what happens in school, we teach kids a concept, a 
and we say go home and practice practice it at night okay but if the kids don't understand the concept during the day how the hell can they practice it at night yeah so what they thought let's flip it so our homework now is that they watch a five to ten minute little video clip which put on the school youtube channel mm -hmm. let's say if i'm teaching simultaneous equations so i'll do a little um presentation on a youtube clip on how to understand a simultaneous equation I'll load that up and the kids' homework is to go and watch that video clip on simultaneous equations, come to school the next day, it's a 10-minute homework exercise, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. come to school the next day and they actually practice simultaneous on based on the theory they've learnt the night before. Yeah. Okay? And this is having absolutely revolutionary um, results. Results, yeah. Mm. And it's is that because it's, cause that's actually the methodology you're teaching us to get that RAS state? fired up because now Absolutely. the curiosity is there and you're not being asked to know it yep. you're asked you're being shown that big picture yep and then you go back to class knowing this is coming and now you're interested in saying well how do i arrive at that state yeah and see if i was teaching auto mechanics you know mm -hmm. mechanics, i'd do something with a, a um, starter motor getting that little video clip on how to put the starter motor together Mm -hmm. um, I might. Um, I was working with uh, consultant doctors and how to train their junior doctors. And I mm -hmm. said, well, "Why don't you give them a, a, a YouTube channel, Doctor Google, to watch?" Mm -hmm. Well, you know, red rag to Doctor Google. I said, "That's no, perfect." If they can then look at, okay, say what have what has been superseded in a in, from this YouTube clip? What do we do differently now? Mm -hmm. Makes it superseded. Mm -hmm. And so you've got them looking at the YouTube channel with their brains thinking to focus in on what's what we was done then what are we doing now why are we doing that now mm. so when they come to class next day, they've got something that they can actively contribute to the conversation mm. um, so i would do the same thing if i was teaching basketball i'd say okay here's a little clip i want you to be for training next week i want you to have a look at this clip now most students have got little smartphones they can mm. look it up they'll look it up on their bus coming in yeah. even if they're, they're late they can at least look it up on their on their phone um, and watch that so when they come to training they've all you've already set them up some of the theory so it gives you more time then to work on the, the concept mm. the practice of it that's taking off really becoming a lot more popular mm -hmm. throughout the um, education both at schools and in the adult education area you you had us moving groups quite often so your approach to school classroom was a cafe style yep. where we literally were in no, groups of no more than three or four individuals yes. and interacting and then you use some methodologies of cards and dots and things to have us all move around the yes. room and just said, if you've got a blue dot on your card, on your name, yeah. go find the people with the other blue dots and yeah. sit at that table. Or you gave out kings, jacks, queens, queens and oh, yeah. uh, playing cards, cards. Yeah. and we're basically mix, mixing us up, up into group groups. Um, and you also did something that was different than a normal think tank. You did a round table. Yeah. And that was where, where we moved information across tables and had people contribute to it and basically said don't add add to what's there don't repeat what's there yeah yeah and we had many I, more results I than think you we went had through 93 ideas generated mm. in 10 minutes yes yeah. yeah as opposed to if you just had the situ situation where you're just asking for people to bark out ideas yeah, yeah. it was a far more the outcome and the learning yeah. outcome was was far superior but then you threw another thing at us and said I want you to ask this question, what are people using these days, mobile phones? Work out what you can possibly do on a mobile phone related to, and that was related to the visual, auditory, mm -hmm. kinesthetic, kinesthetic and tactile. And you basically said, now, how could you use a mobile phone? And that threw even 
we went through one exercise and then you said, now let's add this as a tool and what can you do? And it just blew the number out oh, of the water. Out of water. Yeah, it's because like, there's just so much out there. So And a lot of teachers and educators are really um, find it very distracting students using mobile phones. Mm, well, I'm saying, mm. well, look, use it as a tool. Mm. There's so much out there. It's not going to become your exclusive And it's beyond anyway. YouTube too. People just yeah. think, oh, show a video, show no, a video. No, but no. you had so many, we had so many ideas as a group. Yeah. That were, just, apps, that were just yeah that were just so so different so something you did during the intensive training was you were using charts and do you want to talk about why you choose to use charts yeah okay and probably um surprise yourself and everyone else that i didn't use powerpoint well we walked into the room and there was a projector on but you actually asked the the host's venue to actually turn it off you yeah. said i'm not going to be using that yeah yeah um, and look, I'm not anti-PowerPoint, please. Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. anti But PowerPoint is just used to death by so many people. Mm -hmm. It's used as a teaching tool. Where it's, it's a great resource, but that's all it is. It's a mm -hmm. resource. Mm -hmm. um, and PowerPoint can be used so, so well, but it can be used very, very badly. Um, and what I would suggest to people if they're going to use PowerPoint is that they look at the whole idea of pictures again, symbols. Mm -hmm. Picture paints a thousand words, so use a picture. Use um, five, the brain can take in five things plus or minus two. So you would never have more than five words or ideas on your PowerPoint mm. slide. Um, and so I then opt to, I want to train people to use the old fashioned whiteboards, charts, and chart stands. And you were using paper and you're flipping it over. Yep. You had a little methodology there that we didn't believe. Again, another conscious yeah. convincer. <laughs> you said, we're thinking, what a genius this guy is. He knows everything he's talking about. And then you threw in there, by the way, everything on this paper I've already prepared yesterday in pencil. <laughs> You're giving you can't see, magic. <laughs> yeah, you can't see the pencil, but it's there. And then you've got people later coming up and having a look. Yeah, the pencil's there. He's actually, he's so you, that's a preparation tool, but that way it keeps you on track as an educator yeah. to, to get a flow going. Which, yeah. which we were just intrigued. It's like yeah, yeah. watching a magician at work. Yeah. Let's face it. But I'll tell you what we'll do with that is you do go through the overview of that I intensive did. course up on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. So I think if people want to see this whole concept of colour, uh, use symbols, of journey, symbols, all, all that, yeah. I'll, I'll link that in our description right. so that they can see actually what we're talking about sure. here. Sure, that'd be great. So why, why I use charts? Okay? Yes. Can we go back to that yes. one? You yes. Know? Um, I used a lot of charts around the room um, and so that information, as I do a topic, I never, you would have noticed, as I talked about something, I always did a little bit of a visual, a bit of a cartoon. Mm. Now, I'm not a, as you would have seen, I'm not a natural artist. But um, you taught art at school. <laughs> craft, mate, craft. <laughs> craft, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but there's, I attended a, um, a, a, a workshop in London a couple mm -hmm. of years ago by a guy called Graham Shaw. And he, um, he's got a great, TED talk on how to remember, how to draw to remember more. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very simple way of getting you into drawing. But when I taught something with you, you guys, I actually always did something on the chart stand. So you were taking visually, you're seeing mm -hmm. it, auditory, you were hearing me, you weren't just listening to me. Um, and I also explained that and gave you examples as mm. I did that. Now, by having the charts around, then I could do what was called uh, at the end of the day uh, a refresher walk. Mm. So that I got you what was called the philosopher's walk, where I actually got you in pairs to walk around and explain to each other what each of those charts were about. 
had I had you the next day or the next week, but I had those charts up and said, right, let's start again, a visual walk around. Mm. So you're actually getting around, and you would have seen people talking, seeing it, visually looking at it, talking about it, touching it, mm. some people, and walking. So you had the whole VAKT working. And, and that, for did me, it, was, well? it did work well, and I thought it was a nice finisher for the yeah. day. Every chart you'd drawn in that day, as we were drawing them, your assistant was placing them up along the walls, and you said... If, if, don't write this stuff down if you don't want to. Go and take a photo. Yeah. Use your phone. Yeah. It's a tool. And you were having us take photo. Well, those that wanted to, you didn't. Yeah. Again, you're not... By getting yeah. us up and walking around, you're pleasing the kinesthetics yeah. Yeah. by letting them play with their phone and yeah, 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 the tactiles. Yeah. So they're engaged in the learning process. Yeah. The philosopher's walk for me topped off the day and it was really good. But it wasn't the end of the day because you sat us down then you talked about revision and retention. Yes. And how how for us to actually get real learning outcomes, how we have to revise those outcomes. And you just touched on it with saying, you know, you come in another three days or whatever, you're going to be doing a revision of that. You're going to walk around again. Yes. So do you want to talk to revision and retention? Okay. Yeah. Um, what normally happens with retention, we, we take information in, we peak it about 24 hours of that retention. And then as we the day's gone, if we don't revise it, our retention drops right off. Mm -hmm. And I use the example of the 17-year-old um, driver's theory test. And I, for anyone who's watching, if I was to ask you to resit your 17-year-old driver's theory test here now, where would your knowledge level be? Would it be mm -hmm. still up to around the 90% or kind of like right down? And most people say it's right down, mm -hmm. which it is, because mm -hmm. we have so much information come in. Yeah. So if you've got information that you need to keep at that high 85 to 90% retention, there are key times that you need to intervene. Yes. Um, and that's at the within 10 minutes um, to six hours after first learning something. Mm -hmm. And then a day later, a week later, a month later, three months later, six months later. You've got to put in your diary to go back and revisit those one day, one week, one month, three months, six months. Mm -hmm. You will be utterly amazed how much you've retained in that process of doing that. And one of those processes that help you within that first yeah. 10 minutes after you'd like yeah. give, it, give us examples and things, you basically say, come up with an example, write two down or two examples, write them down yourself, share them with someone else, yep. and then share them as a whole. And, and meaning as the whole group, yes. we, you'd ask volunteers, do you want to share? And that process is a whole concept of reinforcement just oh, there. So that's absolutely. that's retention. That's the first 10 minutes of learning yeah. something. You then engage them in that learning yeah. process to, to then one, it was the one, two whole method you call yes, it. Yes, yes. Now, that, that there is, um, it's for reflective and impulsive learners. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a reflective learner. Mm -hmm. I'll come away from a conversation and think, oh, I wish I'd said that. I'm not quick on my feet. Mm -hmm. They're impulsive learners. They think with their mouths. They, mm -hmm. They're out there. Not, only, right. not, <laughs> not always connect their brains, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's probably me. But yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I feel like my thoughts are attached to my yeah, mouth. Yeah, I'm yeah, a talker, yeah, so yeah, yeah. my thoughts are attached to my mouth. And then I'm, I'm the opposite. Like, yeah. you go, oh, gee, I wish I'd said that. It's like, gee, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite. So what I, what I encourage people is that, to how to engage people like myself for reflectors mm. is you say, look, can, can you just, everyone just whack their own thought down here for it? You get three seconds, five seconds, mm -hmm. put your own thoughts down first. Then I want you to, or anything you want to clarify it or questions you want to ask mm. and clarify it. Then share with the person next to you. So that's the one, two. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can practice by sharing and getting their confidence of, of at least airing their ideas with somebody else. 
and then we share it with the whole class mm. if you want to. And you hit just then two words that come up in the thing. Right. See, I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clarification and questions. questions. And this is about anxiety. Yeah. That yeah. just use of different words and the power of words. This comes back to you are an NLP practitioner too, neurolinguistic yeah, practitioner. Practic- yeah. So so you're big on the use of words have a have a impact Very on the subconscious powerful. level. And that whole concept of saying are there any anyone want clarification reduces the anxiety for an individual who otherwise because questions are geared around something being right or wrong Wrong. yeah and And like most adults don't ask questions you know you can say to a group you know have you got any questions and you know no questions i'm pretty sure you actually asked that and no one put their hands yeah yeah then i say to them okay and i pick this concept up from a um an English is a second language school. They mm-hmm. said the overseas students didn't like asking questions, but didn't mind asking for things to be clarified. Mm-hmm. I thought, how clever is that? You know, because if I've got to ask a question, I'm a bit dumb. I don't know. Yes. But if I want something to be clarified, well, I know ninety-three percent of it. There's just a little bit I need clarifying. So I, I, it reduces that anxiety. It reduces our subconsciousness, and it allows that, that person then to be able to share what they will need clarification on so mm-hmm. if you are an educator or trainer could i encourage you to when you're saying if, if you've got any questions tag on or anything you'd like clarified mm-hmm. it just reduces that anxiety for your learner and lets them be involved a lot more engaged a lot more if you really are engaging your learners you want that experience where you see the change of state yes. you see that there is le- real learning happening it's not just because the, the traditional approach and let's face it the majority of my experiences in even what we would have arrived yeah. at your intensive training course thinking this is going to be another one of these classroom s- scenarios with a guy talking at us for nine hours. hours. <laughs> now, actually, what um, you did that was very good and you discussed it in the session was anxiety levels. Yeah, You reduced anxiety when we first arrived by having a couple of early engages. Yeah. You also talked about what makes that, what the anxiety levels are around. So you want to speak to this concept of anxiety? Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people say, looking, you hear people saying that anxiety is a mental disorder. It's Mm -hmm. not a mental disorder, anxiety. It is a physiological reaction of your body to stressful situations. Mm -hmm. It's an overflow of cortisol and adrenaline, basically, which floods the brain. They have the what we call the tri, the triune brain, okay, mm-hmm. um, and you have the reptilian brain, which is a fight flight brain. You have the, your mental brain, which is your emotional brain, and you have your neocortex, which is outer brain, your clear thinking human brain. And when people are anxious, the um, the blood and oxygen are with the are with the mammal and the reptilian brain, but not getting to our clear thinking brain. So when we're anxious, we're our body's in that alert mode, kind of, you know. It's a fight or flight. It's fight or flight, you know, and it's keeping basic organs going, okay? But it's not allowing us to do clear thinking. So mm-hmm. I believe it's essential as us as educators is that we try our very best to put our students in a resourceful state that reduces anxiety. So they're at a, um, so they're, that cortisol and adrenaline are down and that they're open to being able to learn. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, is you know, is, is the room atmosphere. It's part of giving them um, six, definitely success. Mm-hmm. They, can, uh, they can feel as if they're achieving. 
okay? Um, making it relevant for them so yes. they're actually mentally in the room. They're not thinking about their problems outside, but you actually you're talking physically a, and mentally in the room. So you talk and spoke about that concept of being physically in the room, and you said that to reduce anxiety levels, you did some mindfulness exercises, yes. which were, yes. were good, but I think that's probably something they need to sign up to your webinar yeah, yeah. for because yeah. I don't want to be jumping yeah. around yeah, the yeah, room yeah, doing yeah. them. But you pretty much um, talked about that where anxiety levels may mainly caused by are actually from our understanding of the past and yes. our concern for the future. Yes. And what you've got to do is narrow that to bring them into the now, which is you just referred to bringing them into the room. Yes. Yeah. And what is happening now and just forgetting those other aspects. Now, that's about um, what the latest research is saying, that if you want to bring cortisol and adrenal down naturally, mm -hmm. okay, um, you've got to bring people back into the present. That's yes. what the concept of mindfulness is about and meditation is so powerful now the research is saying this. Mm -hmm. And part of that is getting people into their bodies, out of their heads into their bodies. Yeah. So they're not thinking about the past or the even simple things like that, you know, they leave the kids at home or the traffic jam or a, a, a blue I had on the mm -hmm. bus or, or the future, but you actually get them in them now. Now, one of the ways of doing that is to be able to train yourself to actually be in your body. Mm -hmm. And that's about awareness of breathing. Yes. Um, it's a, and a whole range of stuff. You do a little exercise when you wake up in the morning every day. It's a ritual for you where you watch, you go outside, step on the veranda, and you go and look at a leaf moving yeah, or something like that. Do you want to explain the yeah, process sure. around uh, That's a simple thing. Like Often people hear meditation and think, oh, I haven't got time to do half hour, three hours of meditation a day. It's not that. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's being um, present. So I would suggest people to start by just going out in the veranda on the balcony at home and just looking, maybe choosing something in nature, maybe a little flower, maybe a branch, maybe a tree, and just focusing on that leaf. No more than 20 seconds. All you do is just, you're not judging, you're just looking and just watching. And it might, the leaf might be just moving very, very slowly. It might be breathing in, in the wind. Mm -hmm. Okay, But what you're doing is you're just watching that, that, and if there's no wind, it might be just absolutely still. But you'll see little ants come through or a little bug. But what you're doing is by visually, you're being present in the moment. Just just observing. Then you're hearing. You're just listening for the sounds. Mm -hmm. It may be traffic. It may be dogs barking, wind in the trees. Maybe silence. But for that 20 seconds, then you're just being aware of what you can hear. And then kinesthetically, how you feel. Mm -hmm. So you're just aware of your body and tackling mm -hmm. with your hands. But it's no more than 20 seconds each one because that just actually brings you back in and really aware of your breathing. Mm. And that's the key. And they were the exercises that we did. You yeah. showed some, to, yeah. and you said it takes all of two minutes. Yeah. If to, And that, that's a physiological alteration or, again, yes. an altered state, state to yeah. get people's anxiety levels down yeah. in, in a class or learning environment yeah. because, let's face it, the ones who are visual and auditory learners, they're probably cool with it because yeah. they know what's coming and that suits yeah. them. Yeah. But it's the ones who don't really want to be there and their anxiety around not walking out of classroom knowing well, there's no learning yeah. that's happening for them. But if they use all your methodologies, I'm sure that will change yeah. very quickly. Yeah. I think people are just going to have to go up and have a look at what brain-friendly training ac actually does yeah. and, and what you've developed over 30 years, three decades, and you're, you're, a, you're a constant learner, so you're yeah. constantly looking for things to improve the outcomes of... For learners. For learners, yeah. yeah. It's, it's Even though the training's geared for more primarily for trainers to engage their learners, 
it's it is it is a platform where the learners are the beneficiaries more so. Yeah, look, I I just I think if we can empower learners in how to learn, we've given them a, an enormous gift. Look, I we could talk about this all day. I know that. Yeah. You, I think I've probably covered ten or fifteen techniques you introduced to us on yeah. the intensive yeah. course. But look, fifty there's fifty one and more. Um, but if you're interested in connecting with Laurie Kelly of Brain Friendly Training, then uh, I'll put the information in the description on the video um, and make sure you go and check out his website. But thanks for your time, oh, Laurie. Frank, I thank you very much. Really thank appreciate you, it. Thank you for the opportunity. And um, just to share with people, if there's some, get to incite people again about the joy of learning. Excellent, okay? mate. And it, we can all do it. Just knowing how we do it, that's a, that's a key. Okay, thanks, mate. Thank Enjoy. you very much. Thanks for taking time to watch this video. If you enjoyed what you saw, please give it a thumbs up. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you smash that subscribe button and also hit the bell button to get notified when new interviews are uploaded. Once again, thanks for joining us and hopefully we'll see you again sometime. Catch you later.